got a message called The Coming Wedding, and it turns out there are two wedding parables really close to each other, and we're going to read them both, so we'll be standing for a while. Here we go. Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And then Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Would you mind joining me in prayer? Lord, these parables have made truth so clear and frankly hard. Would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? We want the truth. We don't want something watered down. And so, Lord, help me to speak it exactly how it is and not Try to make it something different. And God, help us hear what the Spirit is saying to your church in this hour. Lord, wake us up if we need to be woke up. Lord, refine us if we need to be refined. Comfort us if we need to be comforted. Lord, break lies off of us. We, we need you to come, Holy Spirit. You're the only true teacher. Come and teach. Come and speak. Come and do wonderful things in our midst. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. So the title is 
the coming wedding, and point one is a wedding and a funeral. Jesus says, it says he began to speak in parables again. And if you will remember, a parable is something familiar that is describing something unfamiliar. In this case, the familiar is a wedding at that time. A, a, A wedding was... It was a great honor to be invited, and a wedding feast was not like our rehearsal dinner or reception. It was like a week-long feast. I mean, you like moved there, and, and the, it was over several days, and the wealthier the people, the bigger the feast would be, the greater the honor. But to, to be invited to a king's feast, oh my, the honor. So they, they understand weddings. The unfamiliar is how the kingdom of God is coming right now. They are waiting for this human political Messiah to destroy Rome and to exalt Israel to the head of the nations. And Jesus says plainly to them, it's not coming that way right now. In fact, right now, in this current age, there are two main events. There is a wedding and there is a funeral. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11. This is verses 16 and 17. To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance, so we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. And he goes on to say, listen, You guys aren't responding to God. John the Baptist came. He came fasting. He came in the wilderness. And he came preaching about the coming funeral. Flee from the wrath to come. It was a fear of God message. It was a message of repentance because there's wrath coming. There is a funeral coming. And you didn't respond to John. And then I came eating and drinking. And I came... Talking about the love of God. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Yoke your life with mine and you will have an easy yoke and a light burden. Uh, We played the wedding song and you didn't, you're still not responding. A funeral and a wedding. So this whole idea of this wedding, Matthew starts setting it up in Matthew 9, 15 where there, there was an argument about why they weren't fasting, and, and Jesus just says this out of nowhere. The guests can't fast now because the bridegroom is here right now. He is not just a bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. We have these two parables. First, we have... This is about a wedding. The king is having a wedding for his son. And and this is all about invitations that are going out. There is a feast that God is inviting people to right now. The feast has started. It is a king's feast. And right now, to, to come into the kingdom of God, you have to say yes to that feast, to that invitation. Then he gives this, these bride, bridemaids that are waiting. And, and to us today, that's a very foreign idea of, of what they're even talking about. But you need to understand, 
Matthew is written to the Jews. These are, both of these are only to the Jewish people. They know what a Jewish wedding is, especially the one that he's describing is one for the wealthy, okay? If you are really going to do it upright, here's how a Jewish wedding went. First, there is the betrothal, much like our engagement, except much stronger. We will talk about the betrothal more, but after the betrothal, there is a year wait for the wedding. The bridegroom-to-be would go back to his father's house. He would build onto the house of where they were going to live, and he would build the wedding chamber, and when everything was ready, he would come back. Now, there was a three-week period, once the year was up, there was a three-week period that the bridegroom's party could come to get the bridal party, but they didn't know when. They knew it's, it's not until a year, but at that point, this is just crazy. The bridal party has to come together, and they meet at the bride's house or at, at, at whoever's got a big house, and they come in their wedding clothes, and they come with their lamps, and, and they are ready for all three weeks because they could come. It was just the culture. They didn't tell you when they were coming. They liked to come at night. They liked to surprise. It was just part of the fun. So for three weeks, the bridesmaids and the whole wedding party are together. They're sleeping together there. And this, this is the picture that Jesus gives of his coming. When will it be during those three weeks? Once, the, once you're in the three weeks, any day or any hour, no one knows. And then there's this coming funeral. Jesus says that there is a time coming when the door will be shut and people that realize they have made a mistake will try to get back in and say, what about us? And he'll say, it's too late. I never knew you. And the word know there is the word for intimacy. I never, I never knew you. It is too late. There is coming a time when it's too late. In the other one, the one who's in the wedding feast but doesn't have wedding clothes on, take him and bind his hands and bind his feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a time coming, folks, where your hands will be, where, where people's hands will be tied, i.e., they can do nothing, they can give nothing to God, they can give nothing to people anymore. They can't serve people anymore. There is a time coming when our feet will be bound, where it's too late. You can't run away from sin anymore, and you can't run into the arms of God anymore because you've lost the capacity to do that. And then there is this, this darkness, this isolation, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth has in it the consciousness of regret. That it's not just that I'm in this horrible place but it's, I was being offered so much that I said no to again and again and again. Now, the sad thing is, that's all that's going on on the planet right now. Everyone, everyone in this room will end up at the wedding or the funeral. There's not a third place. There's not a, like, well, I don't want the wedding or the funeral. I want to do this with my life. I want my life to be about this or that. I'm so sorry. There's only two options. 
right now you're either going to end up at the wedding or you're going to end up at the funeral. So let's end up at the wedding. So that brings us... That brings us to point two. Beware of religion without a relationship. Jesus says this. Many are called and few are chosen. Uh, In the NIV, many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, it's interesting. This phrase is only in the Gospel of Matthew. It's It's the Gospel to the Jews. It's only there because it turns out it's really hard for Jewish people at that time to make it. And the reason why is because of how religious they are. Huh? I thought religion went with God. How, why would it be hard if you're religious? The whole, and I didn't realize this until I started studying this parable. I'm like, oh my, this is the theme of the whole book. It starts all the way back in Matthew 3, verse 9, with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is talking to the Pharisees. And he says this, don't think because you say you're the children of Abraham, that you are. You can be deceived by what you say and what you sing. Just because you say something and sing something doesn't mean you are that thing. He says you need to repent. You need to bring forth the fruit of repentance. You, you can't trust in just your, your religion. You, you, you've got to be the real thing. In Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32, we didn't even do this parable, but here's another parable that Jesus gave. He said, he said uh, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. And he's got two sons. And to the first one, he says to his son, go out and work in my field. The son says, no. But then he goes ahead and he does it anyway. He goes out and works. He says no, but goes out and works. And the second son, he says, go out and work in my field. And the second son says this, yes, I'll go. I'll go, Father. I'll do whatever you want. But he doesn't go. And Jesus says, which one did the will of his father? And they're like, uh, the first. And then here's, here's the application Jesus says. He's speaking to the Pharisees again. He said, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going to make it into the kingdom of God because they repented when John the Baptist preached. He said, but you guys, in Luke 7.30, here's what he says. Here's the words he uses. You rejected God's purpose for yourselves when you refused to repent at the preaching of John. Even though you saw the tax collectors and prostitutes changing their lives and turning around, you saw that and you refused to acknowledge John. And you ended up, and and, and this is a word for every single one of us, you can reject God's purpose for your life. Beware of religion without relationship. So in the, in the, t- the 10 bridegrooms, we, are, we have a description of 10 bridesmaids and five of them are foolish. And here's why they're foolish. They presume that the oil they got at the beginning was enough to last them until the bridegroom returned. Now oil in both the Old and New Testament is a, is a, is a type of the Holy Spirit. They assumed that, the, that whatever happened up front, that was it. That I, 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 got, I got sprinkled, I got baptized, or I got dumped. 
or I prayed the prayer on a, on a Sunday, or I got confirmed, or I, did, I took communion. I did some religious thing, and so I'm good to go. So here's, 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 here's what we all need to understand. The Savior is not an event that you're going to have. The Savior is a person that you need to have an ongoing relationship with. The, the oil has to be refreshed. This is not about a one-timer. So I grew up in a, in a religious household. I was infant baptized. I took first communion. We did uh, confession. It started out when I was really young. We, it, there was a, a box that the priest was in, and you went into your curtain, and he couldn't see you, and you, and you told him what was wrong. And, and then it went to communal confession where they'd bring in guest priests, and they'd all stand in front, and we would go up there and go up, and you always said, uh, you know, I've sinned, and, and forgive me for all my sins, especially for when I did this. And, and then they would say, you know, go say some Our Fathers and Hail Marys, and you're fine. And so every, every Sunday... I was told I was okay. I was told that I will make it. My Christianity was do whatever you want all week and tell God you're sorry on Sunday. Seriously, that's, that, that's, that's how it was. I thought that was how it was. And then in college, my freshman year in college, somebody gave me the gospel and I saw that I needed to repent and put Jesus at the center of my life. And, and after I got saved, I'm like, oh my my family is in trouble. My, my priest is telling people. So I go in to meet with a priest who is a really good family friend. And I'm like, Father, you, you're telling people every week that they're fine and they're not fine. I wasn't fine. I know my friends aren't fine. I know my family isn't fine. And he says, Tom, he says, let me, let me explain something to you. Everybody doesn't have the same experience you have. This is about God's grace, and it's about people's experiences. I said, Father, trust me. Trust me. People, people are, they're not, some of us aren't getting it. And I, I had to admit that, yeah, I guess there are people that love Jesus that are in this church, absolutely, but I wasn't one of them. And so that's why, and you might get weary, wearied by this, but almost every Sunday, I will give people a chance to accept Christ. <laughs> I will give, I will re-preach the gospel and give people a chance because I knew what it was to sit in church, not really respond to God and leave thinking I was okay. Beware of religion without relationship. So the gospel is very hard on church kids because it's easy to conclude that I'm okay because I go to church. Because I, I, I know the words, I know the, the emotions, I know the, the thing. And you can end up being religious and, and not have the oil that you need. So that's point two. We're done with that. I, I didn't expect clapping for either one or two. So, all right, here's point three. Making sure you belong at the feast. So first... You need to value God's invitation. God has put out this invitation to this 
feast that he has prepared for the human race in Christ. It is an absolute feast. Everything's at that feast. Salvation, forgiveness, removal of shame, healing from trauma, goodness, blessing. Everything is at that feast. And he's inviting broken sinners to come to that feast. Now, it's interesting to me. There are two groups of people. One group is hostile towards those inviting them. They're, they're angry. They're angry at God. They're angry at the church. They're angry at, stop talking to me. I don't want to. And, and that's one group. But there's another group. They're not hostile. They just got other stuff going. I'm, I've got a farm I'm going to. Thanks for the offer. I, wow, you guys are really nice. Thanks for that offer. Not doing it. Got to go to my farm. The other one's got a business. I, my business is more important. Thanks anyway. Da, 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 da. That group scares me. Because they're not saying no to God. They're just complacent about spiritual things. And if there's ever been an hour, guys, where I feel spiritual complacency in the, it's, it's this current age. That spiritual things come last. What comes first is the soccer game. What comes first is, is uh, paying our bills. What first comes is, and you, you need, watch out. We need to value the things of God. C.S. Lewis said this, if Christianity is not true, it's not important. But if Christianity is true, it's infinitely important. But in no case is it moderately important. You can't have like, you know, yeah, it's true, but it's, you know, it's not that big a deal. No, it's a really big deal. And it's not just a big deal for you. It's a big deal for everybody around you. It is the biggest deal happening on this planet. And so I, I just, I want to commend all of you for being at church today. You. you made a decision. Seriously, you could have been at a hundred other places, but you put enough value on spiritual things and on your spiritual life to, to come to church today. How much value? Jesus had said earlier, and we already did a whole Sunday on it. He said, it's like a treasure hidden in a field that when you see that treasure, when you see that feast, that you go and you sell everything that you might own that treasure. There's something about human beings that want to know the minimum. What's the minimum I can do? Is it giving a little money? Is it attending once in a while? What, just, I want to make it to heaven, but you know, and here, here's the minimum, your life. Sorry, it's going to cost, he wants your whole heart. He wants you. And then you'll do a lot of stuff, but, it, but he wants more than just you doing a few minimal things. He, he, the, the, what he's giving is so great. He gave his life to give us the kingdom of God. What The treasure is so great. The feast is so big that it, it devalues it if you give it anything less than your highest priority. We, we still have farms and we still have businesses and we still have marriages and we still have Christmas coming. I get that, but don't ever be confused that those are the most important things. This is the most important thing in your life. Um, second, making sure you at the, belong at the feast. First, value God's invitation. Secondly, have on wedding garments that were provided by the king. So the, the, the king comes, they're at the party, they're at the feast, and there is somebody there that doesn't have on the wedding clothes. And it's interesting, the other guests can't tell who's got the right clothes on. But the king knows. 
in some ancient cultures, especially the wealthy, they would give you, they would provide the garment you would wear to the wedding. That was like your, your invitation. And so, and I believe that is the case here. Scholars disagree, but in, in Revelation 19, 6 and 7, it talks about the wedding feast. It talks about the marriage of the lamb. And it says the bride has made herself ready and it was given her what to wear. Garments of white. It was given to her. She had to put on garments. She had to put them on. She had to make herself ready. The garments were offered, but she had to take them and put them on. They were, they were bright and white. Jesus says this, or Paul says this about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin was made sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the robe, Isaiah calls it the robe of his righteousness. In Zechariah, he says, take away the filthy rags, put the robe on. In Luke 15, it is, the father says, get the best robe on him. The robe of heaven is God's own righteousness that he gives us as a gift in Christ. This is the robe that you have to have on. The Bible says that it's both good and bad that are invited. And that's speaking on human terms. There are people that are basically good people and people that have done really bad stuff. Both are invited. But my sense is this. The bad people that were bad before they came to Christ, they know they need that garment. <laughs> they know they're not coming with their own stuff. They've, uh, Jesus, 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 I'm clothed in righteousness. But sometimes it's confusing to good people about, really, is Jesus really making me that much better? Yeah, he's making you a lot better. You're not going to make it with your own. So let me tell you what happened to me this morning. So I get up early on Sunday morning. I always rewrite my message after my devotions. I rewrite my message. And then I come in uh, and, and put it in the computer. And uh, so this morning I arrive at about 7 o'clock. And I take off my coat. I unzip my coat and I still have my Packers sweatshirt on. I zip it back up. I don't want everybody here to know that I'm in my Packers sweatshirt. What had happened that morning, Alice has wonderfully went out and bought all these really nice shirts that I preach in. She, she's provided these for me. She bought them for me. And she tells me, this is what you're going to wear when you're preaching. And I'm like, okay, great. And so, so... Uh, so this morning, I, I, I'm downstairs. Well, I always go on a prayer walk, and, but it was really cold this morning. And so I've got my, my nice shirt, and I've got that laid out. I'm like, I'm going to stay in my Packer jacket. I'm going to put my coat on. I'm going to do the prayer walk. When I get back, I'll take off the Packer sweatshirt and put the shirt up. Well, I forgot. I forgot. So here I am, and I'm like, okay, I don't want anybody here to know that I've got. So I leave my coat on while I type the sermon in, print it off, and then I dart back. It's nine minutes from my house back to, or church back to my house. Dart back. And really, it was a very easy thing. I just needed to take off the sweatshirt and put on the garment that my wife provided. Jesus has bought a wedding garment for you. You and I need to wear it. You and I need to make sure that it's in place. Number three, making sure 
You belong at the feast. First, value the invitation. Secondly, value the outfit the king gave you to wear. Number three, buy the oil of intimacy. So here is the tragic thing in Christianity. The call comes, it's too late to get ready, and so they desperately say, the foolish virgins, give us some of your oil. But here's the problem. You can't get, you can't give your relationship with God to somebody else. You, you gotta have your own relationship with God. You actually have to go to the dealer. You gotta go back to the one that gives oil and you need, to, you need to buy that oil directly from him. You can't get, you're not in because of your mom. You're not in because of your pastor. You're not in because of your youth group. You have to have your own oil and it is time right now to buy oil. This is the time to buy the oil of intimacy. So we drive a, a 2015 Nissan Versa. This is a type of car. And the manufacturers, the way they set up this car, but really all cars, was that they would run on gasoline, but there wouldn't be an unlimited supply of gasoline, that, that, that it would only run a while on that amount of gasoline, and then it would have to be refilled again and again and again and again. They were designed this way. And so this Versa, it starts warning you when you're getting, there's, there's already a gas gauge. It's, got, it's all lit up when it's full. And then it goes down, 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 down. And then there's this little red area. And when you get close to the red area, my odometer starts blinking. And it tells me how many miles I have left on the current gas. It's a, it starts at about 50. And then 50, 40, 35, 30. And when it gets under 20, it stops giving you how many miles are left. It starts blinking a picture of a gas pump. It's like, dude, dude, you are, you are, you are in, in danger. And so you got to, when it starts warning you, you got to find a gas station, you got to pull over and you got to pay whatever price they're asking for that gas, because you understand this is how cars operate. They have to be filled again and again and again. They were designed that way. Now, guys, this is just part of the instruction manual of the human race. You were designed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the life of God, with the goodness of God. But what you get at the beginning, that one experience you had, that's only going to last you for a little while. I call, it, I call it the oil of intimacy because God has designed us so that we need to keep coming back to him and get filled again and have a fresh encounter and fresh experience that, that we have to. And isn't God good? He's given us so many warning lights that we need to be filled. All of a sudden, you're, you're suffering panic attacks. All of a sudden, you're not sleeping at night. All of a sudden, you've got this wrong, that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. Warning, warning, blinking, blinking, blinking. And the human condition is this. I will do anything except pray. I'll do anything except come back to God. So I'm going to get self-help. I'm going to start taking pills. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to go to the psychiatrist. I'm going to do anything to try to, to try to get this thing right without putting gas in the tank. 
We were created to be filled again and again and again. And so, so this is what, what's, on, what, what's happening here this morning. We're getting refilled. We're, we're, just getting, we're, just, we're just in his presence. We're getting refilled. He's washing us with his word. Praise God. What, what will happen tonight at River Rising? Oh, it's the saints coming together. There's something special about coming together. God pours out when we come together. He wants not a person. He wants a people. But it's also very important that we all have our own private time with God too. It's, it's the highlight of my day. I do the one-year Bible. I, I do several different devotions. In the first service, we had all kinds of one-year Bibles and all of my, my devotionals were out there and they all got sold out in about five minutes so that we don't have any left for you. But th- this week on our, uh, our weekly update, we'll give you a link that you can get a, you can get a, a, a one-year Bible or a devotional. And not that you need those, but you need something. You need something to to build into your life the oil of intimacy. Buy it now. You say, buy? I thought God's grace was free. Oh, God's grace is absolutely free. Here's what's going to cost you. Your pride. You're going to have to be able to say, I need this. One of the most tragic verses in the whole Bible is Revelation 3.20. Well, it's actually 3.18. It's the church at Laodicea. These are God's people. And they have said to themselves, we need nothing. We're good to go. We don't need anything else. And Jesus said, you guys don't know. You are poor, naked, wretched, and blind. And I died for everything you need. And I'm, I'm at the door knocking on your life. That, that knock is the blinking light saying, come on, come on, come on. And here's what he says. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and we will sup together, eat together. Did you know that it turns out that the feast of the kingdom of God, that you're not the only one that eats at it? This, this is, Jesus eats with you. This, what does that mean? Does Jesus need food? Here's what it means. This is the greatest thing you can give God is your fellowship. This is, he doesn't need any of us, but he he is satisfied when you and, you and I choose to have fellowship with him. It meets a desire in the heart of God. This is why you were created. This is why I was created. Let's purpose to give him that intimacy, the oil of intimacy. One more point, and that is this. Make sure you belong at the feast. Value God's invitation. Have on the wedding garments that were provided by the king. Buy the oil of of intimacy. Sundays aren't enough for me. I come every Tuesday night. Pastor, you're hired to come every Tuesday night. Yeah, that's true. You got me there. No, point is this though. I get filled on Tuesday nights. I get filled. We, we need to meet together. We need to, and I'm not telling you how to do it, but make it a priority to, to stay filled. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give some time. That is that's the other cost. One cost is our pride, and the other is our, what's most precious to us, our time. It takes time to get filled up. Put the, you put the nozzle in the gas tank, and then you're... <laughs> and a lot of us, we're like, I'm only going to put in $10 because I've got to go. I don't have time to fill up. Just wait a little longer. Get filled up. 
We need you filled up. The world needs you filled up. Let's live filled. Let's take time. We're so busy doing and going and doing and doing. But if you do it all and you're not filled, it's the wrong message. The message is about how good you are, not about how good he is. When we're filled with the Spirit, there's this ease to what we do that when we do it, they're not just touched by us, they're touched by God. Let's pay the price of giving time to be filled. Now, let's move on to that last point. Making sure, watch. This is the number one word that Jesus gives about the end times. Watch. To watch is to wait expectantly. It is to be awake. It is to be alert spiritually. So I'm going to tell you in a few words part of my end times position. I wrote a book on the end times. You can get it. It's called The Puzzle of the End Times. And don't worry if you disagree with me because most people do. Everybody's got their own opinion. You read 10 scholars on the end times, you're going to get 10 different opinions. So you're going to hear a little of mine. Sorry, I'm the pastor. So, what happened after betrothal? The wedding was not imminent. One year had to go past. Only after the year was passed did it come to imminence, where there was three weeks where it could be any day, any hour. Well, Jesus made it very clear. There are two rescue and judgment events that are going to happen. And there's one that he knows when it's going to happen, and there's one that he doesn't know when it's going to happen. The one that's going to happen is going to happen in their generation. There is going to be a judgment on Israel. The city is going to be burned. The temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone on another. And he says, truly I say, this generation will not pass away until this happens. I know when it's going to happen. And it's going to happen soon. And it's going to happen in this generation. And the rescue from this one is going to require them to do something. They are going to have to leave Judea. They are going to have to physically leave. They're going to have to grab their families. Pray that it's not on a Sabbath. Pray that you're not pregnant. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you need to, when these signs are going to happen, and the last one is going to be something called the abomination of desolation. When you see that, it's time. Go. Flee. You are going to have to leave Jerusalem. Eusebius, one of the early church fathers, said all of the Christians were saved when Jerusalem was destroyed because they listened to what Jesus said. He called the abomination of desolation the the Roman army in Luke chapter 21. The Roman army was a desolating army. It desolated everything in its sight, and it was an abomination because it fought under ensigns that had, it was a flag with an image of Caesar as divine. And when they destroyed the temple, they put the ensigns, this according to Josephus, in the Holy of Holies, and they made sacrifices to it, which is what they always did when they conquered. Their God, their emperor, has conquered the God of Israel. That's a whole nother story. Okay, so Jesus knows this is going to happen in their generation. There's something else he knows will happen in their generation. He says, my coming will be right at the door before this generation dies. 
We will be in the three-week period before this generation dies. Now, when is my coming? He says, only the Father knows. I don't, I don't have that information. But it will be, before this generation dies, it will be imminent. It will be imminent. So right now, we are in the three-week period. We've been there for 2,000 years. Every church of every generation has not been able to comfort himself that he can't come yet because this, is, this has to happen, this has to happen. Nope, it's imminent. Well, I just don't think Jesus come back to it. Well, Jesus said, I'm coming back at a time you think not. So he might, if you don't think he's coming back today, he might. It's imminent. So it turns out this is this wedding coming, and who are we? Are we the guests? Are we the bridesmaids? Who are we? Paul says this is a great mystery, but it turns out the human race is being invited to be the very bride of Christ, that the original, the original marriage scripture, he says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, was actually about Christ and the church, that right now there is a proposal for the church to become the bride. Paul says... That salvation right now, this is 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, is betrothal. That right now, you are, when you say yes to Jesus, you are being betrothed to him. So, so let me talk about betrothal. Betrothal, the, 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 the first stage of a Jewish wedding, the father of the bride would meet with the prospective bridegroom and set the price that would have to be paid for his daughter. Then came the betrothal, and at the betrothal, the, the prospective bridegroom and bride would share a cup of wine. And when he drank from that cup, he was promising her three things. Number one, I will pay the price that your father has set for you. Number two, I will go away and I will make a place for us. And number three, I will come back and make you my bride. So he drank first. This is what I'm going to do for you. But it's not a betrothal until she drinks. And when she drinks, here's what she's saying. I will accept you as my bridegroom. And I will be faithful to you. I will wait for you. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I fear for you, lest as the serpent deceived Eve, so you be led astray from simple devotion to Christ. James says to be a friend of the world is to be an adulteress against God. That when, when, when we're in with Jesus, but we love the world and we want the world and, and we let the world give us our identity and the, we're all concerned about what the world's going to think and what's the world going to do, that's adultery. That's adultery. The enemy is trying to lead us away from our devotion to Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul says about communion. Communion is a time where we remember his death the price that was paid for us, until he comes again. We remember the value that he placed on us. We remember he gave everything. And then we also remember he's, he, he, he's coming again. And so Paul said, whenever you take communion, 
You need to examine yourself. You need to make sure you got your wedding clothes on. <laughs> you, need to, you need to make sure you got oil in the lamp. If something's wrong and you need to repent, you've been distracted, you've been worldly, you've been, our, the human heart is prone to wander. Has anybody noticed that? That we have to be brought back again and again and again. And he said, when it, before you take me, before you drink that cup and say yes again, you make sure you mean it. Don't get religious, folks. Don't just drink and, yeah, man, you know, whatever. No, you need to mean it. 